Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is Dominic Lopez, the director and co-writer of the independent feature film Little Jar. The movie was filmed at the height of the COVID pandemic with a five-person crew in a single location in just two weeks on a budget of what Dominic refers to as Hail Mary favors and pennies from lockdown pockets. Here's the film's trailer. I've never really had a friend before. It's not that I don't like people. Open up, open up, open up. You don't want to hang out with anybody ever. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like people. Did you know that birds aren't real? <laughs> okay. But we're friends, right? Are you okay? People need other people, Ainsley. I think I made a friend. Ulysses. <laughs> Are you okay? You're not normally this weird. Say cheese. Get it? Say cheese. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you become some crazy hermit lady. I'm not crazy. No, not yet. Wait, personal space. But you're on your way. Too much. We're friends, right? Too much. You are just like everyone else. Are you okay? You're not normally this weird? Yeah, fine. I'm just same old friendly Ainsley. Oh, you're gonna go find someone else. <gasps> Good luck with that. We're friends, right? Are you okay? We're friends, right? If you leave, you can never come back. We're friends, right? We're friends, right? Just don't say no, because it'll definitely kill me. <laughs> Little Jar debuted at the Austin Film Festival in 2022 and won over audiences and critics alike. It has since gone on to have a successful festival run before finding its home at Good Deed Entertainment to be released for video-on-demand streaming beginning on September 12th. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And now on to my conversation with Dominic Lopez. Hello, Dominic Lopez, and welcome to Making Media Now. Dominic is the director and the co-writer of a really delightful and entertaining new movie called Little Jar, which will be available for video on demand streaming beginning September the 12th. Dominic, pleasure to be speaking with you. Pleasure to be speaking with you, too. And where are you uh, speaking with us from? Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles. I take it that that's where Little Jar was made? Uh, yeah, about. We did the, the initial production was actually in Lake Arrowhead, California, mm -hmm. which is about an hour and a half just east, like in the mountains of uh, California. And then some of the uh, pickup shoots we did here in L.A. So we gave a listeners, our listeners a sense of the film by playing the audio from the trailer. Give us your synopsis of the film. Yeah, so Little Jar is a pandemic comedy that centers around Ainsley, who is a misanthrope. Uh, and in the beginning of lockdown, she's really excited to be at home. You know, she hates people. That's the perfect excuse for her not to interact with anybody. Uh, but as the lockdown progresses and it kind of keeps going and going, she realizes she misses connection. And so 
without people around or without the ability to speak to somebody, she does the next best thing that she can. And she makes friends with a dead mouse that she finds in a little jar. As one does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we have stumbled upon the creation of a new subgenre, the pandemic comedy. <laughs> I know. Hey, we weren't planning on doing it. It's just something that happened. So when I was reading about the production of the film, you you had a five person crew, and your production was essentially all all took place over a span of two weeks. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah. Initial photography took place in two weeks. I believe we went up like mid-September of 2020. Um, yeah, and it was, I acted as the director, cinematographer, um, my writing, producing partner, uh, Kelsey Gunn, who was lead actress in it. Um, she acted, did craft services, wardrobe, um, and then I had a really good friend, two really good friends of mine. One came out as audio, the other one came out as like grip electric slash camera. And then we had our producer who would kind of drive in and drive out supplies for us um, from LA. So yeah, we were a very technical group. So whose idea was it? So September of 2020, I'm trying to remember wh where we were in terms of intensity of the pandemic, but we were pretty much still in the eye of the hurricane. Whose idea was it to make a movie at that time? So Kelsey and I, uh, I'll preface this by saying that Kelsey and I are now engaged. We are, we've been, you know, oh, congratulations. we've been dating for a long Thank you. Uh, we've been dating for a number of years uh, and we had been writing little short films, um, you know, spanning from one minute to about 10 minutes. And it was just something we like to do. You know, I'm a working cinematographer in LA. In LA. Um, she works as a writer, producer, and actor here. Um, so when we weren't allowed to do that, we kind of felt pent up and cooped up. And um, in the lockdown, we made two very small micro short films and just realized we weren't done doing it. And we kind of thought, how can we keep this going, at least practicing, right, while right. we're not allowed to like see anybody? So we, I had this weird idea. I came out of the shower one day. I had this really bizarre idea. And I said, hey, what about this? And she said, well, let's just write it. It just became something we did. Um, so, yeah, so I think we spent about a good, because I think we went into lockdown on March. I think it was maybe six weeks later we had started writing it. And almost all the way up until September, we were just kind of writing every day, about mm -hmm. eight hours a day, just there was nothing else to do. Um, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And that's why, you know, the pandemic was so real and it was so present at the time that it's the reason why we decided to like make it a pandemic comedy comedy only because we were, you know, everything was so doom and gloom then Sure. that we were, we kind of, I, we have an optimistic outlook on yeah. life in general. And I yeah. think that's why, that's why there was humor in the, in the film. Yeah. And I, I have to say that at least in, in my viewing of it, it's not a pandemic centric movie. I mean, really, if you were to take over, the pandemic is almost an excuse for this misanthropic character to really come to terms with, you know, her own feelings around, well, why is she misanthropic and, and what does she take comfort in other than the comfort of other people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, you know, we didn't want to, like, we never named that it's COVID, but you have an idea that it's a pandemic, right? Uh, it is. We use it as a device to get her to stay home. Right. We use it as a device for her to be truly isolated because you know, somebody may avoid people, but you kind of have to interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis. This was, I think, the you know at least the one time in our lifetimes that we will experience really not being able to see anybody. Um, so we didn't, but we didn't want to like hammer it home. You know, yeah. we we knew that the you know the pandemic, the virus, that wasn't the story. It's how she felt during that time that was a real story, and we wanted to focus on that. In preparing to have this podcast conversation, uh, Dominic and I were emailing a bit and 
because we're speaking at a time when both the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild are on strike, there are uh, restrictions around what members of those guilds are allowed to do vis-a-vis film promotion. Uh, and Dominic is not in either of those guilds or, or unions. Kelsey, the star of the film and the co-writer of the film and one of the producers of the film and all of those other jobs that you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, uh, you informed me that she is a SAG um, uh, participant. And so hats off to each of you for having the integrity to not include her in this conversation. But I do have to say uh, her performance is just just fantastic. I mean, it's pretty close to a one woman show. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's substantial roles, particularly for the individual uh, who plays the um, he's not quite called an Amazon delivery guy, but uh, yeah, yeah, Marvin, he's our food delivery guy. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And the neighbor and, and, and great little short scenes with the coworkers before everybody gets told to get home, go home. But, you know, in holding together essential, almost a one woman performance, thanks to the script that the two of you wrote, you know, she really runs a whole range of emotions, but but keeps it very light and yet believable. Um, what did you know about her ability to bring off comedy so deftly? So Kelsey, like I said, we've been dating for a long time. So I knew her intimately as an actress and I knew what she could do. And because she's such a strong writer, if if I usually the way the process worked is I'd kind of take my first crack at it in the morning and then she'd clean up my mess in the afternoon. Okay. Um, as you know, as is just our personal lives. Um, but, but she, you know, <laughs> sensing a pattern. Yeah, exactly. She, but she knows her strengths, right? She's really good about telling me what she's capable of and what she's incapable of. So it really helped us, you know, fine tune the writing for specifically her. Um, and then in terms of the comedy, so Kelsey was part of, and she still is, as part of a, there were an internet comedy troupe called Five Second Films back in the 2000s, 2010s. Okay. Uh, and they were kind of big everywhere on the internet. Um, and that really honed her comedy chops because when you're telling, when you're making jokes in five seconds, visual jokes in five seconds, you got to be on it. So I knew she could do comedy. Um, and I had also seen her perform in other more dramatic pieces and I knew she could do drama. And, and she's, I mean, she's just such a, she's got such a wide range as an actress that we were very confident that anything we wrote, we knew that she would be able to do it. And the things that maybe you see a little too far-fetched, I, I tend to write a little more far-fetched and then she kind of grounds everything. And that's where, you know, that, that's where her strength really came in. But she said, this is a great idea. Nobody does this or nobody says this. So why don't we try this instead? And it would just, it just made the story and the script so much better. Yeah. It makes the character, the Ainsley character, you know, so relatable and so, so believable that, I mean, everybody knows, and maybe uh, perhaps everybody has a little part of themselves. That is that misanthrope that would, you know, all things being equal, would rather uh, not go to that party, would rather not hang out with that crew this, you know, uh, this evening. Um, And what I just found really, really entertaining was her just her line readings in so many instances where, you know, the um, the delivery was just different enough to make it unique to that character. And it, it really gave it that extra something that made it work. Yeah. And that was, you know, we did. I think the the fortunate part about being such a small crew is we could allow ourselves more takes than I think you would normally get, like more time to practice on mm-hmm. set. Um, so, I, you know, I think we had the liberty to play a little bit once we got there. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, I mean, so essentially the, the cabin that we 
that we were that we were filming at is the same cabin we were living in. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, it we all like a pretty sweet together. cabin, actually. Yeah, it, it looks great. It's we were very fortunate. Where a friend of ours, he bought a home in like Arrowhead. Okay. And this was like some detached cabin part of the property. Um, originally, it was an Airbnb, but when nobody was allowed to Airbnb, he invited us to come stay for a weekend. And we fell in love with it so much, we kind of tailored the script for that space. Yeah. Um, and once we had it tailored for that, and we were filming up there because we lived in the same space that just gave us more time to kind of play with the movie and just mm -hmm. kind of explore things. I think that was, a, it was a huge benefit for us. Did that particular setting allow, uh, uh, allow much opportunity for shooting in natural light or were you, were you lighting uh, most of the scenes? Yeah, we use, we utilize a lot of natural light. The reason we like the cabin so much is there's a whole wall of windows on one side and it feels like you're in a jar itself, which we thought was, a, you know, and it's rounded, it's a rounded building too, which is just perfect. Yeah. Um, but we did have lights, but we were, we were pretty minimal. Like I said, we were a very small crew. So it was, you know, how could we work smarter, not harder? Because sure. we knew that we just didn't have the manpower to do what you would normally do, like on a, a larger budget kind of set. Yeah. So oftentimes if, you know, if people hear small crew, two week shoot, very tiny budget, they, they probably, even if they're applauding your efforts, they're probably thinking, uh, I bet that film looks that way. This film does not look that way, does not sound that way, is not cut that way. So hats off and congratulations to you. And, you know, I, I think we mentioned at the top that in addition to being the co-writer and the director of this film, you were also uh, the director of cinematography and the editor. So you, yeah. you bit off a lot and you succeeded yeah. admirably. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. We, um, like I said, I've, I've worked as a cinematographer. So, and I, I've worked on bigger shoots that are, that actually have like less, you know, resources than what we had in the sense where like, it's a pretty ambitious project, but we don't have much. And how do you make the best out of whatever situation you're in? Um, just prior to us making Little Jar, I had worked on another action movie that was very much motivated by running gun style of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I was a cinematographer for it. And there were a lot of times where we didn't have proper resources on it. So I think my, my skills are very like sharpened. I was like, I was dialed in to like use what I had available. Uh, and that really worked out well. Um, and then I've worked as an editor for a really long time you know um yeah. yeah so tell me a little bit about your uh about yourself about your background and your your foray into filmmaking what was the initial desire was it to be a director and you thought i'll get into cinematography first or editing first or what was the order of events you know i, I come from a pretty like non-creative family but very funny family you know my father worked in pharmaceutical research my mother has been a nurse for a long time um, but we just kind of always had cameras and we're just kind of like loud people. Um, and so pretty early on, I was able to kind of make short films. It was just something I thought was a fun hobby to do. I just really liked it. Did you grow um, up in LA? No, I didn't. I actually grew up in South Texas, okay. a little town right outside of Corpus Christi. Um, and then I was about the age of 10 or 11. My family moved to Reno, Nevada, um, where kind of, I was, I think it was for the first time kind of, you know, small town, Texas, you don't really get a lot of exposure to art. Reno is a little bit bigger, so there's like a bigger scene for it. And I think that's where I kind of fell in love with it. Um, I always knew that I wanted to direct, but when you're working in a small town like Reno, you kind of have to do everything yourself or you really don't get the chance to do it. You can't be mm -hmm. specialized like you can like in Los Angeles. Um, so I spent a lot of time there trying to get better at it, learning everything that I possibly could. I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford film school. Um, you know, my family wasn't very well off, um, but I had a state scholarship to Reno and they had a fantastic theater program. So I studied theater there, which is where I learned the lighting side of it. 
that helped me transition into gripping electric on the camera side. Hmm. I was sorry. And the, the film TV side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there, because I always had a camera, I just kind of had the opportunity to, to hold it right every once in a while on set. Cause they could, I could be trusted to do that. So when you take the lighting side, take the camera side, combine the two, it's cinematography, right? You just kind of fall into it. Yeah. So I did that, but I always wanted to direct. Um, and I knew that, I knew that was ultimately where I wanted to go, but right. nobody was trusting me with projects. Mm-hmm. So I kind of thought I need to learn how to be a better writer. So I spent yep. quite a few years just writing over and over and over again, just to hopefully get something that I really liked. And then this, this was it. This was Little Charm. As a, as an editor and as the as the co writer of the of the screenplay, how do you make sure that your editing style is maintaining the rhythm of the script? And a lot of this, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the script, you know, is the uh, Ainsley character played by Kelsey Gunn. She's kind of she's talking to herself essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, this this deceased mouse is the stand-in <laughs> for the audience yeah. or the Greek chorus, if it, you know, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So, and and as I said before, like the rhythm of her her delivery and her line readings is just so spot on. And a bad edit could kind of ruin that. And, and yeah. tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah. So I think a lot of that came from one, the theatrical background that I have where, you know, timing is everything, especially when you have a live audience and you feed mm-hmm. off of that. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, from elementary school through high school, I also played in like the high school band. So I have, you know, like played an instrument. So I feel like a lot of my editing comes from that rhythm. It's like sensing of what an audience will like and also having the rhythm, like an internal clock. Sure, and you just kind of feel when things are dragging, and you can kind of feel when they're like too fast. And I, yes. I, 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 I don't think there's there's anything there's nothing more technical than that. It's just kind of this weird sense that I have as I'm kind of cutting things. Mm-hmm. Can you remember any formative experiences as a movie goer that struck you in the sense that it left you convinced that that's what you wanted to do with your life? Absolutely, yeah. The movie Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky. Okay, it's, sure, yeah. It's my all-time favorite movie. I think it's the best movie ever made. It's purely, you know, subjective opinion. But it's just—I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time and thinking, if I can make something that's, you know, half that good, I will consider myself a successful filmmaker. Huh. Um, you know, it's it's that story of the obsessive artist, and they they do live stage performances, and then it's the culmination of capturing that in the medium that is the medium I prefer to express myself in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I fell in love with it. I saw it in the theater four times. I probably watch it twice a year since I've purchased, you know, the, the Blu-ray. It's, it's just, in my opinion, it's my perfect film. Hmm. Um, and when I saw that that was capable for the limitations that they had, and I realized that I focus on story, like even as a cinematographer, I always focus on story more than like the perfect shot. Um, and that movie is, it's, in my opinion, it's the best example of it. It's a, you know, the shots aren't always the prettiest, but man, that story holds you there. Um, it just, it gave me the confidence to know that there are movies like that being made. And those are the types of movies that I want to make. And it really pushed me forward. What has been your experience and the, uh, the experience of the Little Jar team and crew doing the festival circuit? I know you had some really good response and feedback, particularly at the Austin Film Festival last year. Uh, how has that been rolling out? Uh, the festival run was great. Uh, I think we finished, I think our last official festival run was in Paris, which was February of 2023, right? Yeah. Um, it was, and, you know, Austin was fantastic. So speaking of Aronofsky, he was there showing The Whale. And okay. before he spoke in front of like this live audience of like 250 people or something, I was given the opportunity to go up and tell that audience 
about our movie to come watch it. It was premiering that night. He was in the audience. And it's a very weird thing when you're looking at your hero very to say, hey, thing. I know you have this huge movie coming on, but you should come see our little film. Uh, I don't know if he did, but I like to think that he did. Um, yeah. But it was um, it was great. Uh, Austin treated us. I mean, it was, I mean, hands down, it's one of the best film festivals I've ever been to. And they they loved us and, and, and we loved them in return. It was just, it was just such a great experience for such a, for what we thought was a pretty like small movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Paris was great too. Paris, we ended up winning the Grand Jury Prize Award. Um, we kind of, uh, and we took also Best Directing and Best Acting, which we were really excited about. Wow, congratulations. Um, and there's, you know, yeah, thank you. And there's no better, you know, I mean, Paris is a beautiful city. It's actually where I proposed mm-hmm. to Kelsey. Uh, right under the Eiffel Tower because I'm cliche like that, but <laughs> but but yeah, I mean it was uh, the festival run was great and people seemed to really like it and um and you know we attribute the the festival run I think is why we were able to get the distribution that we got in the first place. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, you know we're current as as you and I are speaking, the strikes are are still ongoing with the Screen Actors Guild and the the Writers Guild. How has that changed? the the work prospects and actually the work execution for the independent filmmaking community. That's interesting because so I'm not personally in the union Mm -hmm. and I do a lot of commercial work. So there have been periods where there is work and then there's were a few months where I had nothing. So the whole industry is feeling it here. Um, The people who obviously are feeling it the most are going to be the writers and the actors who are, are, yeah, who are purposely on strike. And I 100% stand in solidarity with them. Um, but it affects a lot of other people too. Everyone, yeah. everyone from gripping electric to craft services to wardrobe. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, it, every movie takes like an army of people to make and they're all feeling it right now. Um, in terms of independent film, well, I don't know. It's, I think some people are pretty hesitant to make anything and others are using this as an opportunity to kind of move forward. You know, mm-hmm. I know that. I know that I'm personally trying to find non-union actors so we can try and make these small movies again that we used to do something that, you know, that we won't, you know, that won't get in trouble, but I mean, they're all coming out of our own pocket anyways. Yep. I feel like, you know, we're so far outside the studio system, you know, that that would be okay. But obviously I'm not trying to disrespect the movement that is happening. Um, but I think, you know, I think artists can look at it the same way that we kind of looked at the pandemic. You know, there was an opportunity to do something and you might have more, you may have more resources available to you mm-hmm. because there isn't much going on. And so, you know, play it safe, play by the rules. But I also think, you know, I'm pretty punk rock in the sense that like, hey, get out there and do it. You know, right? if you, you know, maybe you have to like, maybe you have to ruffle some feathers. But I mean, I say if it, if it makes art, go make art. Now, are you the type of guy that usually has a lot of plates spinning at once in terms of ideas and projects? I know in, in terms of uh, actual roles, being a an editor and and a shooter and a director, I know the answer to that question. But uh, you know, you just you're you you finish this this kind of lighthearted comedy. And it's going to be shared with the world on September the 12th. Uh, but, you know, do you have a dark, seething drama that's next in line? Or how are you keeping the creative juices flowing? So I'm always writing and I'm always coming up with ideas. And a lot of the ways that we express that is we have a small Instagram page. It's our production company. It's called Grey Rabbit Films. Uh, if you go on there, you'll see just a lot of micro shorts that we put up. All of them are really dark. All of them are really depressing. They're complete opposite of what Little Jar is. Okay. Um, like I said, Little Jar has that tone because we were so depressed during the pandemic. I wanted the opposite, right? Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, it, you know, in terms of future projects, uh, the title of the one that we're writing now is called Tiny Feet. Yeah. It's a, it's about a, 
it's a loose story about a girl who hates her abnormally large feet and she covets her best friend's perfectly tiny feet. So she chops them off and she wears them as her own. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what genre that falls into, yeah, but it, it's, it's, relatively, it's relatively dark, but it's also got some humor in it as well, too. Uh, we kind of describe it as like it's a mix of Pearl meets Heathers. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's and, what we're and, looking at And maybe, maybe you planted the seed in my mind by talking about Black Swan, but that I could see Aronofsky doing something twisted like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of these ideas come, because my mother is from Germany, right? She's okay. uh, she moved here in her early 20s. Uh, a lot of German fairy tales that I read as a young kid, it was like, you know, don't suck your thumbs or something's going to come and cut them off. And that's the whole story. There's no yeah. ending. To, there's nothing nice about it. Don't play with matches because you're going to yeah. die. So I think a lot of that's where my humor comes in from, right? Like it, these are these really like dark, you know, morbid or cryptic stories, but there's always humor in everything. And I think, I think that's, that's the line that I like to walk when I'm doing my writing. We will be looking forward to what comes out, what what, what comes down the road next for you and your and your team. Uh, the the film is Little Jar. It will be available for uh, on video on demand beginning on September the twelfth. And I have been speaking with Dominic Lopez, the co-writer and the director. Dominic, thanks for the film. Thanks for your time, and uh, good luck with what comes next. Thank you so much, Michael. Really appreciate you having me on. 